And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It is, of course, Tuesday um, as we get uh, the middle of the month going, right? Uh, Unfortunately, actually, there's good news, bad news. Unfortunately, Friday's April the 15th, but that's Good Friday, so your taxes aren't due till Monday the 18th. But don't forget, your taxes are due Monday the 18th. But you get a three-day <laughs> weekend to put them together. <laughs> that, that's correct. So if you didn't have any plans for this weekend, or if you did have plans, you need to cancel them because <laughs> your tax returns are due on Monday. Also, that means, of course, all your IRA contributions are due for 2021. You have to make that deposit in your IRA, SEP IRAs, individual 401k plans, all that. Those deposits have to be made for 2021 by April the 18th. So now remember, uh, uh, all the financial markets are closed on Friday. So you won't be able to make a deposit on Friday. You'll have to do it today, tomorrow, Thursday, or Monday at the very latest. Now, here's the trick with this. If you haven't opened an IRA prior to December 31st of 2021, you can't make a contribution. The account has to be open as of December 31st, 2021, in order to make a deposit in that IRA for last year. So you can't open the account. But anyway, just a few things, uh, you know, kind of a little cleanup here as we get ready to push through mid-month. Now, once we get past tax filing season, fortunately, that also means that markets tend to do a little bit better the week after we all file taxes. Um, markets tend not to do well. But, and interestingly enough, markets, you know, as we start to head up into, you know, actually paying taxes, there's usually some selling pressure in markets because of the fact people have to sell stuff to pay taxes, right? So, you know, you always kind of see a little bit of weakness in the markets this week, you know, this few days leading up to tax filing day. Now, post-tax filing day, once we start getting refund checks and once people kind of know what their tax liabilities are, markets tend to do better. So. Um, next week tends to be a little bit better performing week. Now, yesterday, it was a bit of a tough, t- kind of a tough road yesterday in the markets. Uh, the NASDAQ was down about 2% yesterday. S&P was down one5 um, Good news, bad news type situation in the markets yesterday. Good news is markets are getting very, very oversold currently. And, and again, there's been a lot of selling pressure here, really, uh, you know, for about the last week and a half. After we had that really strong run from the kind of the, the lows, um, you know, from about three, four weeks ago, had a very sharp rally heading into April. And really, ever since then, the market's just kind of been trailing off here. It's been a, a fairly orderly decline. There's not been anything really kind of, you know, uh, dramatic about the decline, no real panic selling evident. But it's been under certainly some pressure here over the last few days. And unfortunately, yesterday we did break back below the 50 day moving average. Now, that's not, you know, that's not critical here at this point. You know, if the markets can recover today, uh, next you know next day or so, get back above that 50-day moving average, that would be that would be more uh, encouraging as markets are holding support. But there is certainly a possibility we could retest these lows that we had back here earlier in March. That's around the 400, uh, 4,000, 
4180 level on the S&P. So again, you know, we can definitely see some more draw here potentially as we get further into the month and, and as we head into summer. Of course, inflation, this is going to be the big news out today. Inflation comes out. We'll talk some more about this in the show this morning. But that comes out at 7.30 this morning. CPI prints expected to be above 8% because of high oil prices in March. Now, remember, this is the March inflation number. And even though oil prices have dropped here markedly over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, the number we're going to be looking at is when oil was hitting $120 a barrel. So, you know, that's going to be feeding into this kind of this inflation number today, expected to be a fairly hot print. Now, two things about this. One, starting next month in April, so when we get into May and we look at the April number, we're going to be comparing that for the first time to a positive inflation print going back to 2021. Because remember, we compare inflation on a year-over-year basis. So we're about to start getting into the numbers that are substantially higher. So the year-over-year comparisons are going to start to come down here over the course of the next few months. So, you know, there's a lot of people worried about, you know, inflation is going to keep just keep going higher. There's, you know, as we start getting later into this year, we're going to be comparing to those rising inflation numbers from last year. That's going to start putting pressure on, on the rise in the inflation numbers that we see. Now, it doesn't mean that anything's getting cheaper for you to buy. It's just going to be when we see the inflation print, we're going to start to see disinflation in that number later on this year. So, the, you know, again, just some things to be paying attention to. You know, there's a lot of angst in the markets right now. There's a lot of, lot of concern. You know, there's inflation. You know, the war, the, the war headlines of Russia, Ukraine are slowly starting to fade away here. We're starting to try to find other things to talk about. Uh, good news for the markets is that we're about to start the earnings reporting season for the first quarter. So we're going to start kicking off with banks. And as we go from the major banks, we'll start getting to other companies, uh, you know, by the end of this month. And then, of course, we'll really get hot and heavy as we get into the last week of April and the first two weeks of May will be kind of hot and heavy in all of the all the reporting of the S&P 500 companies. Now, you know, it's still expected that earnings are going to be fairly strong in the first quarter, but we're going to start to see some of that kind of decay around the edges from inflation, the inability to pass all that inflation on to consumers. That's going to start eating away at profit margins. We'll start to see earnings estimates likely come down. And forward guidance is, is probably going to be weaker than expected for a lot of these companies. So there's going to be some things that while earnings are likely going to be fairly decent in these companies, in other words, companies will probably meet or, or exceed their earnings estimates for the quarter, it's likely going to be, because again, what we're, what we're looking at now is this first three months of the year, and this was just post- the last of that fiscal liquidity really coming out of the system. The child tax credit went away. Uh, the extended unemployment benefits were all gone. So that's the first quarter really without any additional monetary support. So unlikely at this juncture that any, any major impact has happened. However, since then, we're starting to see, you know, the, the, the kind of curtailment of activity in the economy. We're starting to see weaker uh, in, uh, manufacturing data. We're starting to see other index components like freight and, and shipping starting to show some signs of weakness. That suggests that the consumer is weakening around the edges. And as we get kind of further into this year, that's likely gonna start to really kind of weigh on profit margins and earnings expectations. So again, 
as we get past this kind of first quarter earnings cycle, we're going to start to see weaker earnings for these companies as we go forward as the economy slows. Now, that's going to happen regardless of what the Federal Reserve does. Now, of course, with the Fed beginning a, a, a very severe rate hiking campaign beginning uh, really in May, uh, that's going to put additional pressure on the markets, on the economy, and, and other areas. Now, that's going to ultimately lead to more disinflation in the economy as we go forward. Again, why does the Fed hike rates? to slow economic growth, production, and, and, and activity. And that's going to bring down wages. And as they bring down wages, of course, that's also going to lead to rising unemployment. That means people get laid off their jobs. Um, housing market will slow down sharply. That's all going to reduce that consumption activity in the economy. And then, of course, that is by very, its, its very definition, disinflationary or deflationary for the economy. So we will see CPI come down later this year. And, and probably uh, likely we'll start to see the, the first kind of, you know, kind of phases of that as we get into the summer. All right, come back from the break. A lot of stuff to get into around that kind of whole theme this morning. So don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. show this morning it is uh, of course uh 6 17 on this tuesday as we kind of get the everything going uh joe biden upsetting uh environmentalist no yeah so biden has decided so one way to maybe lower prices of gas at the pump of course this has been you know problematic you know, for the Biden administration right now, because high oil prices, obviously, as we're heading into midterm elections. And by the way, all that nonsense is about to gear up here pretty shortly. Uh, start looking for lots of political ads coming your way soon. Um, that's entertainment. Exactly. So that's going to be kind of the issue coming up here shortly. But of course, midterm elections are coming up and, you know, high inflation at the pump is certainly not helping the Democrats position in running for re-election. And so, of course, the administration has been looking for ways to try to lower the price of gas at the pump. And, of course, you know, blaming the big oil refiners, you know, accusing them of, of, you know, price gouging and profiteering. And, of course, that's absolutely not the case. And if you take a look at, you know, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that actually high oil prices aren't necessarily pure profit for, 
you know, oil refiners. And secondly, the price of gas at the pump is not set by the oil refiners. It's set by a couple of things. One, set by government from all the taxes that they charge you. Um, and it's also set by the retailer that supplies the gas, right? So, you know, he's going to charge the same price for gas that his neighbor across the street is. So, you know, that really doesn't solve the issue. The, you know, the other side of this is that he's decided to now remove the ethanol standard for gas, hoping that that will ease up the price of the pump. You know, an easier way to, to ease up the pump is, you know, reopen the XL pipeline and allow drillers to start drilling again. You know, surprise, get more production. <laughs> You know, this isn't rocket scientists, but, you know, again, it's just, you know, this is the, you know, the short sightedness of, you know, the things that we do and in, in government in order to appease a small niche of the of the voting public. Right. We want to we're going to we're going to do these things. Right. We had people, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, climate change. You know, we got to we got to we got to get rid of oil production because of climate change. Great. Well, here's the consequence. You're going to pay more at the pump. This is just a, you know, again, you know, decisions that we make have consequences, both long term and short term. And 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 a, a more logical approach to decision making saying, great, look, if we want to wean ourselves off of oil as a source of fuel. You know, how do we do that? And there was a logical step between electric vehicles and ice-powered vehicles, which is you do hybrids first, and then once you start migrating more and more vehicles to hybrids, then you finally make that, that last transition into full EVs when you have the materials, the economy, the logistics, everything else to support a much larger EV population of, of vehicles. But, uh, but again, you know, we have to do things right now to appease a very small fraction of the base, and we don't pay attention to the unintended consequences of those actions. And this is, look, this occurs in every facet of government. Let's send checks to households. We need to solve an immediate problem. What's the unintended consequence? Raging inflation. It wasn't hard to figure out that that was going to be the problem when you start sending checks to households and shutting down the economy simultaneously. That was the mistake. You keep the economy open. You treat the pandemic like the flu. Let everybody go to work. Keep things going. And you send checks to households. Fine. In that case, you don't have the economic devastation that you had. You don't wind up. You, you're still going to get inflation, but you're not going to get as much inflation. You know, choices you make. I'm not, and I'm not saying that's the choice they should have made. I'm just saying if you're going to do one thing, you've got to think about what the, the, the unintended consequences of those are. And that's the one problem we have in government is that we never look forward when we make decisions saying, look, if we do this today, what's going to be the consequence of this? And we don't plan for that. And so then when inflation shows up, as in this case, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, we have this raging inflation. What are we going to do? Nothing. It's going to solve itself in time, but you've got to allow all this liquidity you inject into the system to run its course. Now the Fed's going to make a mistake by assuming that this inflation is organic inflation and that it's now persistent. And they're going to start a aggressive rate hiking campaign, which 
without historical precedent. <laughs> they have never created a soft landing. May have seen that way for a smidgen in time here and there. It's like, oh my gosh, look, they've got a soft landing in the economy and then the economy falls apart for one reason or the other. But this has happened every single time. They try to do these things and ultimately it turns out to be a very large unintended consequence. So the question is, though, is really how, how, you know, how high can interest rates go, right? You know, it, it's important, and I've got a chart, you know, up here on my, on my screen, you know, so I'll share it with you, but it's okay if you're, <clears throat> you know, if you're driving, don't try to look at the chart. <laughs> this is a long-term chart of 10-year treasuries going back to the 1980s. And... What it's showing you is, is that two things to take away from this. First, we're all very concerned about interest rates. Now, three years ago, pre-pandemic, 2019, housing's booming, everything's going great, economy's doing well, stocks are doing well, at least on the surface, it appeared that way. Now, now despite the fact in 2019 we were bailing out hedge funds and we had an inverted yield curve and had no idea what was coming, but everything seemed to be fine at, at that particular moment in time. And interest rates then are just about where they are now. And so while we've seen this very sharp rise in interest rates, and everybody's very concerned about the current level of interest rates, we're really only back to where we were in 2019. The problem is, is the amount of debt that consumers are carrying, house prices, et cetera, are all a lot higher. So this change in interest rate matters. It's not the level of interest rates. It's the change in rates that matters. And we've had a very significant change in rates in an economy that is now more heavily leveraged than it was before. So the more debt you have, the more sensitive it becomes to the level of interest rates. Why? Because payments go up. And right now, and you know, wages haven't been rising enough to keep up with inflation. And now my credit card payments are going up. My variable rate payments that I have are all going up. And this is all a function of the rise in the 10-year rates. But just to keep this in perspective, we're only back to where we were in 2019. This isn't some new, you know, high level of interest rates we've never seen before. And in fact, you know, we're just now approaching the long-term downtrend. You know, if you take a if you take a line and draw it across all the you know the from peak to peak of the interest rates going back to 1980, we're just now kind of approaching that downtrend line. Now, the interesting part about those peaks in interest rates, and again, if you're you know not driving and you have and you can actually see the chart. The interesting thing about those peaks and rates is pretty much every one of those peaks and rates occur with a financial conundrum. Long-term capital management, dot-com crash, financial crisis, Orange County, default, savings and loan crisis, crash of 87, portfolio insurance fell apart, the bond market crisis, 1994. So, you know... The problem is, is that when interest rates rise to a point, they invariably cause a problem. And that problem ultimately leads to a rotation from risk to safety and interest rates fall. 
the Fed will be cutting rates back towards zero here at some point. And this whole idea the Fed's going to hike, you know, 500 times by the end of this year is likely going to be a pipe dream that goes away fairly quickly. Right now, the current bet is between 1% and 2% on Fed funds rates. I have a suspicion it'll be towards the lower end of that. There doesn't seem to be a lot of wiggle room for the markets currently in this. Now, you know, and, and you know, there's a you know, couple of factors here that when you talk about the impact of rates on the economy is, again, that it's not just a function of the level of rate. It's the psychology. Mortgage rates have gone up, but they're still very low, historically speaking. Even at a 5% mortgage, that's still a fairly low interest rate for a mortgage. So why would a 5% mortgage slow housing demand? I mean, if I can finance money for 30 years at 5%, why wouldn't I buy the house of my dreams, right? It's psychology, though. First of all, consumers have gotten used to a much lower interest rate. People don't buy houses, they buy payments. I love this house that's $500,000. And at a 3% interest rate, I can afford that house, right? It's like $1,500 a month. At 5%, I can't afford it anymore. But it's not only just the change in the payment, it's also the psychology of consumers going, you know what, I was going to buy that house when the mortgage rate was 3%, but at 5%, you know, I'm just going to wait because historically rates always come back down again. So I'll just, you know, I'm not in a big rush to move right now. So I'll just wait till rates come back. Psychology plays a very big factor in the activity in the economy. It's not just the level of rates. It's the psychology of the change of rates as well. Be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Six thirty-three. Welcome back to the show. So, uh, over the weekend, it was my uh, daughter's birthday, her nineteenth birthday, right? So she's officially off the payroll now. She doesn't realize this just yet, but. Uh, it's coming pretty quick. So, uh, but anyway, so we said, hey, well, you know, we're going to take you take you out to dinner, you know, for your birthday. Where do you want to go? And, and uh, you know, so we went out to the restaurant. And it was her and her boyfriend and my, my uh, oldest son, who's uh, about to be 19. He's 18. 
still on the payroll for another two months. <laughs> and uh, so, but you know, and, and it's funny to, to watch them, right? Because they're so, you know, it's, it's there's actually an interesting article uh, that was out this morning talking about the narcissistic society that we live in today, right? Everybody's, you know, the, the level of narcissism has ridden, risen to historically high levels. Uh, and, you know, and it's not surprising, right? Because it's, it's all about selfies and, you know, kind of caref- carefully crafting your lifestyle and social media so that, you know, everything is as pristine as it needs to be, right? And, it, and it's interesting because, you know, they're, you know we're, we're out there at dinner. We're sitting outside on the, on the patio. It's a beautiful evening, right? So we're, we're sitting outside and, and we're having dinner. And, you know, my son's being all cool and, you know, he's, he's on his phone texting whoever he's texting, right? And every now and then you see the camera kind of pick up and, you know, flashy gets, you know, a selfie gets taken. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. He's just, you know, kind of watching. We're just having a conversation, enjoying it. And about halfway through dinner, my son comes leaping out. Now, my son's this, you know, this very self-confident, you know, works out all the time. He's, he's all buffed up. He's got the hair thing going, right? And, uh, it's like your mini me. It, it's, he's very much my mini me. Yeah. Um, but he comes flying out of the chair, right? The chair goes flying back. The table almost flips over. He's dancing around. Profanity is now just streaming <laughs> at this point. And I'm like, good gosh, what's going on? He's like, spider. <laughs> and a spider had dropped down from the ceiling and had landed on his arm, right? And the spider, now, mind you, the spider's probably the size, maybe, of an eraser, right? It's not big at all. But according to him, if you fathom the spider, it's basically the size of a plate at this point. And it is now a battle of life and death between him and this ferocious creature that has now attacked him. (laughs) And nothing is funnier than hearing an 18-year-old buff kid who thinks like, you know, he's the thing, right? Because he's he's that age right now. Scream like a girl. <laughs> if it hadn't been if it hadn't been for the fact that I didn't have my phone handy, I would have recorded this whole thing because <laughs> it was worth it. Oh yeah. And what was funny is that now again, we're on a fairly crowded patio. Mm-hmm. The entire patio is now cracking up at my son, <laughs> dancing around. <laughs> you know, the only thing we needed was like a bonfire and him to wear one of the grass skirts. It would have been like, yeah. <laughs> like one of the tribal dances. <laughs> so the whole patio is now cracking up at him. It, so it's, it's just, uh, you had to be there. It was funny. Anyway. So how long did it take him to retain his... <laughs> Millennial cool. It, t- it took it took a while. It's yeah. a, it, 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 you know the conversation about the the uh, the immensity of the spider. Oh yeah, you know, and the audacity of the spider to attack him of all people in public. <sighs> you what know, was went he on. Thinking? I know uh, that went on. Unfortunately, the the spider died a very quick and brutal <laughs> death. <laughs> At least it didn't land in a soup. <laughs> no. You know, and also, you know, also miss the days of, and I know you're, I know you're with your kids. It's this way. I miss the days now of when you took your kids out to dinner and they ordered kids meals. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, my wife does that now. Well, at least you're getting some relief because yeah. you know dinner was like six hundred dollars, 
and oh, no doubt. And you know, it was like <laughs> it's like order what you want. You know, then it was like, okay, I want I want a New York strip with this and that. I was just like, I'm just going, oh my god. <laughs> what happened to chicken nuggets? That's all I want to know. Mac and cheese. Yeah, like I said, this is this is the the, the I'm I'm at the last hurrah though because <laughs> once we get past May the 31st. We go to dinner. It's split tabs, yeah. so it's like you order whatever you want. I'll give you your, I'll give you your part of the tab. It'd be like getting a raise. I know, no doubt. I just can't wait. <laughs> no more cell phone bills. No more insurance. That's all on them. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was. It's funny. My son was walking out the other day, and and he was, you know, he, he's been kind of moody lately. And because he sees the end in sight. <laughs> maybe. Well, no, it, and, and I think he does because I, I said, I said, I said, I said, son, you seem, uh, you know, you seem, kind of seem, you're not your normal chipper self. Usually you're kind of bouncing around, you're happy, yeah. things are, things are going good. And uh, <laughs> I said, I said, you don't really seem like yourself lately. You seem a little down, depressed, everything all right. And he's like, this is like, dad, man, it's like every day, it's just the same thing. I get up, I go to school, I come home, I go work out, I go, work you know i work until eight nine o'clock at night i get home i go to bed i get up i go to school do it all over again i go welcome to adulthood yeah it doesn't get any better and <laughs> then you die <laughs> I, I know that was, that was my, my closing comment this is your life for the rest of your life <laughs> and he was like i'm going to the gym now <laughs> poor kid yeah, they, they, they have no, you know, it's unfortunate. I only wish I knew now, or I guess I wish I knew then right. what I know now, because I would have enjoyed my childhood a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I would have milked that for all it was worth, and I didn't do it. So anyway, all there right, you go. back to work. <laughs> we almost killed an entire segment talking about nonsense. Anyway, um, so... You know, a couple of things here, like so we're talking about inflation, the rise of interest rates and the impact, you know, on psychology. And, and the thing to remember about in, in, you know, psychology is that that's really the important thing. It's not the level of interest rates. It's not the level of the stock market. It's not the level of inflation that has, you know, those are just measures. Right. What's important is when that measure impacts psychology and people change behaviors. There, you know, there's an old thing called the substitution effect in economics. And that substitution effect says that, well, if the price of beef rises to some level, then people will just stop eating beef and they'll go eat chicken. And if chicken rises too much, then they'll stop eating chicken and they'll eat beyond meat. That ain't never happened. <laughs> so... I don't care how high the price of chicken gets. Even during the pandemic, when you couldn't get food at the store, Beyond Meat was always on the shelf. That's, that's all, that was always available. Just goes to show you, nobody wants to eat that. Anyway, this is you know kind of the the the, the important lesson though is that you know the the change in behavior. It's not a function of. Well, let me let me rephrase that. It's not entirely the function of I can't afford it that changes behavior. There is also the I'll wait for prices to come back, particularly when we've been in an environment for the last 40 years where interest rates have always gone lower. 
And there is a school of thought that because interest rates are low, they have to go up. They don't have to go up. Doesn't mean they have to go down, but they don't have to go up. And if you take a look at Japan over the last 30 years, it's a good example of what happens when you have too much debt in an economy. Basically, your interest rates stay trapped near zero. That's the most likely outcome that while we'll have these little spurts in interest rates higher, the ultimate trend is likely towards zero on interest rates. And that's because of a function of the debt that we have to service in the economy. Because of the massive levels of debt, we can't afford higher interest rates. Look, just this surge in interest rates now is already starting to impact. And, and again, we're only back to where we were in 2019 in terms of interest rates. And already there's a headline out this morning, 9 million Americans priced out of the housing market because of the rise, uh, you know, of the rise in interest rates, affordability. Well, if you couldn't afford a house in 2019, you can't afford a house now. The only way you could have afforded the house between 2019 and today, because the rates are the same, is that you had to have lower rates in order to qualify for the payment. So affordability really hasn't changed, except from half a percent rates on the 10-year treasury in 2020. When we got down to that level, a whole bunch of people said, oh, wow, I can afford a house. No, you can't. If your entire driver of affording a house is the interest rate, you can't afford the house. If you can't afford to put 20% down on a house, you can't afford to buy the house. You know, there's some very basic metrics. And then there was, a, there was another great article out the other day is that millennials are very upset about home ownership. Because they weren't told about all the additional costs that go into owning a home. Many millennials were surprised to find out that right after they bought the home, they had to make repairs. Replacing AC units or refrigerators or a variety of other appliances or problems with the house. They weren't prepared for it, didn't have the money for it. Because you couldn't afford the house to start with. See, forcing people into home ownership isn't necessarily a good thing. Houses are an expense. They're not an asset. Be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning you know 
If Albert Einstein could come back to life. And he asks you, he says, you know, what was the most, you know, since I've been gone, you know, what's been the most terrific invention made, right? You could hold up your phone and say, this thing, right? This thing in my hand has all of the known information in the universe. I can find out anything there is to know in the known universe on my phone. Pretty incredible. So, you know, we should be the literally the smartest planet on, you know, ever. I mean, everybody should know the the facts of the universe, right? Science, biology, all these things. This this is we should be educating ourselves. So I just thought it was interesting. I went to Google Trends. You can do this. Just simply go to googletrends.com. And just look at what's trending, right? What are, what are people searching for, right? Are they searching for the secret to life? How to make myself a better person? How to improve my level of intelligence? Uh, how to further my career? Number one search. Britney Spears announces she's pregnant. Tish Cyrus files for divorce from Billy Ray Cyrus. Important stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Walker Scobell, the new Percy Jackson. A fair few cast in the lead. Kennedy Anderson, contestant on American Idol, drops out. Oh, my gosh. Pete Davidson, new photos being posted by Kim Kardashian. Didn't know she was still a thing. National Pet Day. That's important. Celebrating the health of your pets. <laughs> this is the stuff we're searching for, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, <laughs> I think Albert Einstein would be very disappointed in knowing that the United States now ranks like near 30 in terms of math, science, <laughs> in the world. <laughs> we have all this phenomenal information at our fingertips and... You know, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, phones. There used to be a day where your phone did this little function called calling other people. And you would dial the phone and you would call somebody and you would talk to them. Now your phone is mostly a camera to take selfies and occasionally takes a phone call. Oh, and it's a, and it's a mobile video game device. Right, that's, we shouldn't discount the fact that you can spend a lot of time playing games on your phone. It's your personal distractor. Uh, that's correct. But I just thought it was interesting when you look at and and you know, you have to get down to number 12 on the search list, which was ghost gun, I guess to find about, you know, anything that's kind of really relevant to the economy or politics or anything else. But once you get past number 12 on ghost gun, it's right back to pretty much junk. The today wordle answer for April the 11th. Austin Reeves, Anthony Mackey, the Orioles, Stephen Kwan, Halle Berry made the list at 20 today. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is, your, is, is what people are searching for today. And in, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because, again, if you're listening to the show, congratulations. You're 
probably a lot smarter than the average person because you actually care about your finances and you want to kind of know what's going on with money and those type of things. And you're probably, you know, typically the person that listens to a financial talk show is above average intelligence, above average income, and have above average savings. Surprise, right? Because you have a vested interest in it. Unfortunately, we, we, you know, we talk about, you know, the housing market and all these type of things. And, you know, we have designed on purpose a consumer-driven society ever since the definancialization of the financial banks, uh, sorry, the deregulation of the financial banks under Ronald Reagan. And that was where all of a sudden anybody that could, you know, fog a mirror could get a credit card. In a lot of cases, you didn't have to fog a mirror because there were credit cards issued to dead people. But, you know, this is, you know, the society that we've built. And we ask ourselves, like, well, how did we get here? Right? How, how did we get here with all this debt and everything else? Well, it's because we chose to. You know, take a look at your phone. There's a good example. Um, you know, ads everywhere. If you're on social media, you're constantly being hit by ads for some product or some service or some item. You pick up your phone and you Google something and your phone's been listening to you. So you were talking to your wife last night about, you know, needing a new handy dandy new fangly thing for your house. And sure enough, there's ads all over your website for that particular item. Right. And so we have this. This demand need for buying stuff. Oh, I got to have it. Got to have it now. There's a great comedian out and he's talking about Amazon Prime. He's like, Amazon Prime's great. He says, but it's not good enough. We need Amazon now. Like, as soon as I think about it, Amazon is putting it in my hand as I'm thinking about it. And he's right. I mean, we want more stuff faster. And we don't think about the financial consequences of the money that we spend today and what it could be in 15 or 20 years we have this immediate need for gratification and we so we ask ourselves you know well how do we get into this financial situation we let ourselves here and because we find finance boring and and finance is boring who wants to talk about money right i mean it's it's boring you know, economics blah you know, politics are so much more interesting because we can fight with other people over it. Money, you can't really fight with people over. <laughs> nobody wants to be, and, and this is why budget's a four-letter word, right? I mean, nobody wants to be told what they can or cannot spend or when they cannot spend it. Nobody wants to be told that. And these are hard lessons to teach. You know, I try to teach, you know, we try to teach our kids these lessons and, you know, but they're inundated by it. Right. They're inundated by, oh, here's a credit card here. You know, eat, you know, buy it now. Five easy payment terms. You know, it's cheap. Right. I can get it for twenty nine ninety nine, you know, with only 30 easy payments. <laughs> right. And this just continues. And once you get into that trap, unfortunately, you can't get out of it. And, you know, it's always fascinating to me when I run into people and, and every now and then I'll run into somebody that. You know, they'll, they'll tell me, it's like, oh, well, you know, I, I live on a very strict budget, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, sure you do. And then, you know, they'll say, no, no, really. And, and they go through it. And, you know, they live a very normal lifestyle. And, you know, they have what they need, but they don't have excess. And that's the real question. 
what do you want versus what do you need? And wants versus needs are the one thing that is the most difficult thing to teach somebody. You know, we have a, when I, when I talk to people about, you know, budgeting and financing and, you know, preparing assets for retirement, we talk about what's called the Alpo diet, which is what do I need in terms of income just to keep the lights on, pay the house note, keep the lights on and covering everything just to keep the house in place. And I'm basically eating Alpo. That's the basic nut that you've got to cover. And then everything else you've got to put on top of that. And you've got to start figuring out is food important. Yeah, it's important, right? You got to eat, right? But how do you eat? And once you have to start layering these things in and saying, okay, look, just to have basic shelter, I've got to have this much money, then everything else on top of this is required, you know, in terms of a drag on a portfolio or or an income stream, you know, making decisions become a lot more challenging because it's very hard to make that transition from doing whatever I want and then actually dealing with the consequences of the debt, overspending, those type of things. Because again, all of a sudden, and this is this is the problem that, you know, when we talk about how did we get here, you know, the average house price, the median house price right now is over $350,000. And the question is, is do you really need a $350,000 house to live in? And people are like, well, of course I do. Got to have that. Because where I live, well, do you have to live there? But these are just choices that we make. And look, I'm not saying it's right or wrong or indifferent. I mean, you do what you want to do. But the reason that 80% of Americans don't have $500 in the bank is because they overspend. You know, we talk about, you know, it's great to be invested and you have your money invested in the markets. And if you just, and I love these articles that just say, oh, just put $500 in the bank and, and you know, on a month and in 30 years, you'll be worth a million dollars. Probably true. The problem is a million dollars 30 years from now isn't going to pay for a million dollars of lifestyle today. Maybe if you had a million dollars today, you could live your lifestyle. In 30 years, because of inflation, that's not going to work. And this is the problem with a lot of these rules, right? The 4% withdrawal rule. A million dollars back in 1980 gave you $120,000 a year to live on. Your cost of living was about $30,000 a year. Today, that cost of living is well more than double that. It's about $67,000 a year. And a million dollars a year, even at today's rate, is only going to give you about $25,000 a year. So, big problems. And these are the choices that we have to deal with today that we didn't have to deal with previously, but we also forget about the impact and costs and consequences of the future value of dollars on things that we spend today. But this is a hard lesson to learn. So as always, I thank you for listening to a boring show and, it, and it's important, right? But again, congratulations are on being the few that are above average in terms of intelligence, savings, and investing. Because that is the difference between you and the, and, and the rest of the population. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Be back tomorrow, of course, as always, for the Wednesday edition. Danny Ratliff will join me tomorrow. 
We'll catch up on the inflation numbers that we'll get out today at 7.30. What do they look like and what is the forecast uh, fair and, and how is the market going to respond to it? We'll cover that tomorrow right here on The Real Investment Show. Have a great day. It's a rich man's world.